It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Texas podcast. My name is Daniel. My name is Carl Anker. I don't know where Half Hope is. Sleeping somewhere, probably. He's resting. He's resting. Bless him. Sorry, I haven't been on this recently. I've had the flu and I've been really bad. And it seems like there's a really bad flu going around, not just London, but most of the United Kingdom. If you go into any supermarket right now, right at the front, it's just cold and flu remedies everywhere because everyone is sick. Um, so Hope, rest up, get well. You are needed, uh, and I'm sure you'll be making some great stuff for AFCON. You can follow the podcast on Twitter or X and um, Instagram. Carl, where can people get your work? Uh, you can find my work on The Athletic. I've not been doing much work in January because I, too, have had the aforementioned flu. Um, but I am slowly recovering, and hopefully we'll be back up to regular scheduling in February. When people say flu, what does that mean to you? Back in the the pre-COVID days or when I was a young 20-something, I was like, oh, you know, flu. It's it's just like a worse cold. Whereas now I've seen people be bedridden, debilitate with flu. Mm. The best way someone described flu to me was, let's say we were walking down the street and I dropped my wallet and out of my wallet popped out a bunch of 50-pound notes. If you had flu, you would not have been it. You would be unable to tell me I dropped my wallet. Uh, you'd also be unable to get down to the ground to collect all those 50 pound notes before someone else. Big, big, nasty sickness. You're shameless, actually, because you Me? show up when you sh- you show up when Mourinho gets sacked. That's what you do. Yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> Dancing on people's graves. He's, he's not dead. I'm, I'm, I'm here to I'm here to eulogize. I'm here to I'm here to talk the things. I woke up this morning and I found out Jose Mourinho was, was fired um, and uh yeah, I've got some thoughts about that. So as a as someone affiliated to Chelsea, yeah. When someone when Mourinho is sacked, you you are aware of a certain pattern of events occur. So what have you seen today that go, "Oh, I've seen that happen at Chelsea." In what sense? I'm not so sure I grasp fully the question. So so Mourinho when Mourinho leaves your football club, a number of things happen. Uh, 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 so you have the first sort of jolt of, "Oh my god, he's gone." Because he 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 very rarely leaves quietly at the end of the season. It tends to be an implosion partway through. So you have the initial jolt of, oh, wow, I didn't think they were going to pull the trigger at this point in time. Then you have the, were they correct to, put, to pull the trigger? Then you have the phase that I can only really describe as the civil war. Now, the civil war, it doesn't end. When Mourinho's been at your club, it doesn't it doesn't end until the next good manager arrives. Uh, and the Civil War is, were they correct to pull the trigger or were all the things Mourinho complained about in the final weeks of him being there? Because he does complain in those final weeks. Are they going to be proved right? And he can say this at every other club apart from Tottenham Hotspur because he didn't win any trophies at Tottenham Hotspur. But the, the argument will always be, is the amount of money, resource, however much mental effort that you commit into being a football club with Mourinho in charge, is that worth it for the reward of trophy? Uh, and this will be a debate that you'll see going on in, in Rome 
for at least until partway through next season. So we've already seen images of uh, football fans outside Roma's training ground chanting Mourinho as Mourinho was leaving. We've already seen discussions about whether or not uh, Roma should have backed Mourinho even more, whereas other people have said, well, Roma have one of the largest wage bills in Serie A and yet they're not in the top four and they need to be in the top four. There's also been this debate of, well, actually, they're five points off top four. They could have given him more time. Mm. Um, so I'm watching all this going. I've watched all of this happen at Manchester United. So Mourinho mm-hmm. leaves in December. It was all, all like, oh, he's left early. Um, the interesting for me is Roma appear to be hiring Daniel De Rossi as their head coach. No, he's hired already. So that's done. So that, yeah. the, the fun, the interesting, fun thing for me is going, oh, they've even done the thing where they hire the former professional football player to succeed Mourinho. Um because uh, the interesting thing is, you know, I mean, Chelsea's given pretty much a blueprint for everyone. When Mourinho leaves, you hire in an HR person first. And then you hire in someone who can just calm the dressing room down, you know, make sure everyone who's annoyed at him is like, don't worry, he's not he's gone for a little bit. And then the season afterwards, you're supposed to hire a tactician. The tactician I mean, in Chelsea's experience, oh, wait, Antonio Conte hasn't got a job yet, has he? No. That's fun. So you have that phase of, oh, you know, and then the, you know, the football has a, a sort of soft bump or uptick because the person they bring in charge tends to not be as abrasive as Mourinho can be. And I think even if you love Mourinho, you, you have to admit he can be very abrasive. So you have that phase and then the team will have a, skid and then you'll go oh was Mourinho right all along Mourinho was right is one of the more constant arguments in a football discourse considering now he's been this is his fifth job in how no what his third job in five years hmm. um is it yep Manchester United, since in five years he's been at Manchester United Tottenham Hotspur and Roma now um so you go well if he was right surely one of these jobs would have worked out Ooh, however that framing is a bit sneaky. Yes. And this is the thing. When you discuss Mourinho, everything's a bit sneaky because Mourinho himself is a bit sneaky. Anyway, I've spoken for too long. No, no, no. no. I was thinking like, because when did Mourinho sign for United initially? 16, 17, 17, 18. And it gets dismissed. So really, he's been at three clubs in eight years or seven? Okay. Yeah, we can do it that way. I understand where you're going now. Um, yeah, 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 I've seen the Civil War to an extent. It's a bit different in this case because I don't speak Italian and uh-huh. I haven't, I don't follow, I follow a few people who are Roma fans or journalists, but not enough to where I would get a strong gist of um, what the sentiment is, other than the one person that I know for sure is like a diehard Roma guy was not happy that Mourinho was gone. Okay. You put all the pieces together and you think, Mourinho has that what is it cult of personality at every club and he mm-hmm. he collects at least half of the fans on his side at least in with a club like Roma especially that haven't had too much success certainly in Europe you add mm-hmm. the fact that he won them a trophy uh conference league and then got them to the final of the Europa League last season yep and he was you know very very embittered about how the Europa League final went mm. and he has often said he would have won that Europa League final had the referees I'm going to put this in air quotes, done their jobs properly. That incident, that got so bad that UEFA itself said the way Mourinho has treated Anthony Taylor over this Europa League final uh, is beyond the pale. Um, now, so I'm, going to, I'm just going to read some stats. Okay. What I'm going to do is we're going to put Chelsea, United, Spurs or Everton to one side for a little bit. And let's just, let's just talk about Roma specifically. Mourinho was in charge for 138 games at Roma. He won 68 of them. He drew 31. He lost 39. Uh, That is a win percentage of 49.28. And he averaged 1.7 points per game. Not too bad. Not too bad. Now, Roma had a net spend of more than 100 million euros during his first summer at the club. That was a lot of money. Uh, they are really at risk of financial fair play considerations, which meant this summer they spent less than 10 million on transfer fees while they recouped more than 70 million in sales. However, when I say in sales and buying, they also had to do some shrewd business in uh, free transfers and also in loans. 
hence Romelu Lukaku. Mm. Um, Romelu Lukaku, up until December, was the highest paid player in Serie A. So until Victor Oshman renewed his contract at Napoli, Lukaku's contract at Roma, highest paid player. Uh, and this is one of the big things here is that Mourinho was given quite a lot of money by Roma set up uh, very much in the hope that they believe Mourinho would be the person to restore them to Champions League football at the very, very least. That has always been the aim since he's been, since he was appointed in 2021. And he has not qualified for Champions League football in the time. I believe it's a sixth place finish in the first season. Six, six, nine. They finished sixth his first season, sixth his second season, and they're currently ninth. Nine. Yep. Six, but, six, nine. But then you you add the Europa. So they did have a chance to win Champions League if they beat Sevilla, which yes. is why Mourinho was so pissed. No, well, that and just losing, but you know. Victory in Europa League, Conference League, I should mm. say, in his first season, was Roma's first piece of silverware in 14 years. It was their first continental trophy since the 1961 Fairs Cup. So, for those reasons, he will be well regarded as a Roma manager. Yeah. However, <clears throat> now, Marino's final game in charge was a defeat to AC Milan. Uh, Pioli, the AC Milan manager, who is unlikely to be the AC Milan manager next season through reasons. Uh, Pioli has the best record against Mourinho for any manager who's won, who's played him more than three times. Um, Mourinho, on top of this, has also lost four out of six Rome derbies. He's only won one. Um, so... Roma right now are ninth in the league. They also got knocked out of the Coppa Italia because they lost to Lazio. Uh, Sari was eh, pretty blasé about beating Roma in the Coppa Italia, which he was like, yeah, well, you know, I couldn't care less. He said, he quite literally said, I couldn't care less. Uh, <laughs> people also say Mourinho's Roma has been undone by injuries. You know, they got Renato Sanchez in. Sanchez is nearly always injured. Uh, Tammy Abraham scored 27 goals in, in the first season, but got anterior cruciate ligament. He's not played football for basically a year now. Um, so things have been complicated because things often are complicated when Mourinho is your manager. That record for Pioli. Pioli, the AC Milan manager, has played Mourinho six times and never lost. Pioli also earns half as much a year than Mourinho. The ninth in the table is a sneaky ninth. So yeah, I've, got, I've got a league table in front of me right now. Inter Milan, 51 points. Runaway, runaway favourites to win Serie A. Uh, Juventus, 40, 46 points. Uh, AC Milan, 42. Florentina, 34. Remember that number 34. Lazio of 33. Bologna of 32. Napoli of 31. Atalanta of 30. And Roma of 39. So there's a log twenty nine, I should say. But so there's, there's a huge log and jam. ninth. Yeah. To where R Roma have lost and drawn their last two games. If they win mm -hmm. those and they take five more points, due to their goal difference, they'd be fourth. Fifth place. So the thirty three points where Lazio is fifth place. Coefficient. Blah blah blah. Swiss format. Boom 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 boom. Ah, boom. so top five in Italy. Okay, interesting. Italy but... Italy could in Italy could have five Champions League places next would... season. However, so could England. It, it, it's all up in the air as to who does well in coefficients in European competition. The objective for this whole project is let's make Roma a Champions League club. Mm -hmm. It's not beyond the realms of possibility that Roma could have or still could reach Champions League. I think this is more of like the the manager bounce and hoping mm -hmm. that maybe this can inspire the club to get a run of four. Because if they win two, three games in a row, maybe even four, they'll be top four or top five even uh, could qualify them. So I think this is on behalf of the ownership group, but uh, trying to jolt the players into into playing better because they do have a squad that should be that that's capable of winning games. Mm -hmm. The point from the the point from Mourinho would be, he's he was in the last year of his deal. Yes, that's and, what and I was just he about to and, say. and he wanted an extension. This is where I was kind of going with it. Mm -hmm. So I could almost see him taking this sacking almost not quite to the same 
kind of level of, of point or stick. You know, you remember how he was sacked before the Tottenham final? Like, yes. Like, like before we had a chance to know what could have happened, uh -huh. he was sacked. Here, is, it's a similar story, just that it's not that singular game. But we don't know exactly what's going to happen with Roma. And I'm in the last year of my deal. So you're sacking me when you could have just released me at the end of the year. Like, how come I can't find out what, what could happen? But I guess Roma are in a position where we don't want to wait to find out. Like, we have to get rid of you. And worst case might be, in the same way Daniel Levy had to kind of sack him before he won a trophy, because mm -hmm. that would have solidified his position in Tottenham. If we give Mourinho enough room and he gets the objective, we have to keep him. There are fans now in ninth who mm -hmm. are pissed that he's gone. If he reached the Champions League objective, there's no way the ownership group couldn't sign him again. It would just be untenable with the fans. So we got to get rid of him now. This is interesting. So I've, I've often thought that Tottenham Hotspur sacking him before the League Cup final was the best and worst thing. It was the best thing for Mourinho and, and the worst thing for all of us. Because um, now, no matter what happens, Mourinho always has the... You sat me before a final. You know, I we never won. know. <laughs> you never know. Despite the fact that if you look, Ryan Mason coached a one nil, bro. I don't know where. If, like, if you look, if it. you look at Tottenham Hotspur's form and the just general mood around that club and the fact they were playing Pep Guardiola's Manchester City, I think it was highly unlikely Mourinho would have somehow magicked up a, a victory in that game. Now, I say this, having written a piece after the Conference League final where I, and I sincerely believe this, there are few managers in the world better than Mourinho in a final. League, in a league format now, I think football has changed to the point where Mourinho's approach, uh, you're not going to win one of Europe's top five leagues with Mourinho in charge, unless, oh. unless, unless you give him Bayern Munich. Or PSG. Or PSG. Unless you give him Bayern or PSG, I can't see him winning a league title anymore. But in a cup final, the way he approaches big games means he's always going to have a very good chance of winning them. I don't think it's, it's completely immune, as we've just seen in the Europa League final against Sevilla. So when, when I talk about Mourinho's approach to big games, I'm always going back to what was written in his uh, biography, written from when he was in charge of Real Madrid. And it was based on seven core tenets, which were basically in big games, big games are decided by the person who makes, mis who makes the most mistakes. And... You make more mistakes when you have the ball. So the idea is, so Marino's approach in big games is, do not have the ball, limp, control nearly every single possible variable, and then when the opponent makes a mistake, seize upon it, score, and then hunker down. This is me paraphrasing these seven things in, in the biography. And you can see this in some of his Manchester United against Ajax in the 2017 Europa League final. Marino very, very goes into this game. He's like, oh, my team is just physically bigger than Ajax. Ajax are going to try and play technical football. We're going to bypass their press by playing very direct to Marianne Fellaini. We're going to exploit them on set pieces. And other than that, we're going to take things very, very slowly. Um, a very, very good example of this in the league format is Chelsea's trip to Anfield when Gerrard slipped. Uh, Mark Swartzer says the entire time on, on the coach on the way to the game, he said, everyone's talking about Liverpool. We're going to ruin their day. Brendan Rodgers' Liverpool team at the time were known for starting very, very fast. The first 15 minutes come flying out the gate. Chelsea in those first 15 minutes play very little football. They keep the ball in play for fewer than 60 minutes. They don't really want to have more than 50% possession and they try and beat you up. That can work in a final, especially when you are the bigger team. And I don't mean bigger as in money, I mean physically bigger. So his Roma team, physically bigger than final, than the Conference League final. His Manchester United, physically bigger than Ajax in that one. So this is also why I don't think he beats Manchester City in turn when he's in, at Spurs, because that Spurs team was not physically bigger than the City team. Um, and also I think Pep now has begun to have his number. But to your point, mm -hmm. we'll never know, we'll which never is know. why it's good for him. Which is why, which is why it's good for him. <laughs> this, he said, he, this is why Mourinho said, uh, I believe he said he has 20... Seven and a half trophies. And a half. Because <laughs> he, he said, you, you fired me before a final. You never know. He's a final, he's a specialist in that approach to big games. Now, the reason why I say you can't win a, win, win a league anymore with it is because there's just too many big games in football nowadays. I think, you know, when Mourinho was first coming into power at Chelsea, it was very much a top four. Now it's a top six, maybe a top seven. 
mm. perhaps even a top eight with Aston Villa. And I don't think you can take this, control the space, play less than 60 minutes of football. You, I don't think you can do that when the amount of big games is against seven opponents rather than against three opponents. Mm. Um, I also think that approach means you are very liable to having silly draws against smallest teams when you should be trying to exploit things. So instead of trying to seize upon your opponent's mistake, a lot of the top teams now also try and induce mistakes in the opponent by pressing high, by having more structured attacking routines. Mourinho has been very, very good at organizing defenses, but large parts of his attacking scheme is around, I'm going to get one or two very, very intelligent players and let them have a degree of freedom. That works in 2009, 2011, 2013, less successful in 2019, even more less successful in 2024, especially when, as we've seen, some of those attack, talented attacking players are injured, which is another thing about Mourinho. Um, injuries have mounted since his second stint at Chelsea because Mourinho doesn't believe in tracking data. So you know those sports bras the football players wear underneath their shirts? So Mourinho is not particularly a fan of that. Um, so his first Chelsea team, very much the fittest team in the league, Lampard, Terry, whatnot. Um, and he was ahead of the curve in terms of player tracking data and whatnot and the red zone. Whereas his second time at Chelsea, uh, Mourinho began to believe that he didn't need that data because he could just tell. Uh, I believe there's a quote of saying, uh, if you want you know, he said, what's the effect of, uh, someone can come in with a USB drive and download his entire database and he wouldn't be mad because the secret source and he pointed at his temple. Uh, infamously, when Louis van Gaal was the Manchester United manager, he asked Manchester United to install 3G pitches and tracking data and cameras all over Carrington because he said United need to get fitter. Mourinho came in and, and then told them to take all the cameras down. Uh, and this started a cascade of events that United are still feeling to this day in that every time a manager comes into United and go, okay, we're going to turn this team into a pressing team. They just don't have yet the entire infrastructure to do it because Mourinho got rid of a lot of what would have been state-of-the-art equipment in 2017 and have been playing catch-up ever since. So he, he doesn't necessarily believe in, in tracking data in the same way that, say, Guardiola does or Jupp Heynckes does or Jurgen Klopp does, which means a lot of his best players are liable to getting injured because he obviously just plays them loads. Um, so this has always been a risk as well. And these are reasons why I think top five leagues winning a title, probably not going to happen. But also, like you said about the Spurs stuff, you get into that really interesting, maybe? Because when you said there about 34 is the is the important thing, Roma are five points off and they're were, they were within striking distance. And you said, oh, maybe they're going to get someone in and have that new manager bounce and do that. Manchester United did that, didn't they? Yeah, but the, the idea that they've gone for De Rossi. Mm. We're in striking distance of the top four positions. We're not, we're not where we need to be. We're in striking distance of top four positions. We've spent a lot of money mm -hmm. on Mourinho. Uh, and I think this is also another thing that you're seeing at Spurs and at Manchester United, less so Chelsea, is that Mourinho's expensive. He's really, really expensive now. And he will always ask you for a lot of money. And it gets a point for some of these clubs where they go, we could keep giving this person 150 million plus. And there's still no guarantee, there's no guarantee we'll get there. Or we could pull the plug and go slightly cheaper and not have all this turnover. And I think Roma did a similar thing to what other clubs have gone, which is like, this is the, the vibes aren't great and it's quite expensive. Shall we try something else? It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. 
For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Oli Gunnar's managerial record before he took over Manchester United, he managed 274 games mm-hmm. with a winning percentage of 47 at Molda and Cardiff City. Daniela De Rossi coached, I think, 20 games for Spall and had a winning percentage of 17. Mm. So this is complete vibes that they're going for. Like, I think Oli was in a better managerial position, having been in management for eight seasons mm-hmm. or around eight. Um, whereas De Rossi's been in it for a little bit, and they're just like, he's a legend. Come make the vibes good. Or we know the fans will not like this decision, so let's give them somebody they can't hate. Other than Tati in recent history, Daniela De Rossi is the best that we can go for in that sense. They're not going to boo him. Everybody's going to be behind him because he's my name is my name. So that's what they've done. But it's it not going like to the, work. It feels like the risky, riskiest. Yeah, risk, let's go with riskiest. This feels like the riskiest or most eyebrow raising appointment since Perla was the Juventus manager. How did that work? <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> He got some silverware, didn't he? <laughs> De, De Rossi means more to Roma than Pirlo does to Juve. Yeah, yeah. I'll so know. he has a built-in loyalty with the fans that they'll never turn on him. And that he's like Lampard in the sense that most of the fan base will not turn on him. If you want like a Chelsea analogy that you asked at the beginning, like he's he's that. Maybe even mm-hmm. more. Maybe even more in Rome. So I see what they're trying to do. Are the players good enough to win by themselves in the way that Mourinho's Chelsea teams were, where give us Avram Grant, give us Gus Hitting, give us whoever, and we can get to a Champions League final? Like, no, they're not that good. Uh, one, one further statistic. Um, since, since Mourinho arrived at Roma in 2021, um, there were 29 red cards shown to Roma players. Do you know what would be a good stat? How many red mm-hmm. cards did he get? He was in the stands for the game against AC Milan, which I think is, yeah. Um, one of my favorite images or clips of Mourinho at Roma is when uh, he, I think it was after a game, he was after a league match and he wanted to come to disagree with the man, with, with the referee uh, and realized the referee was holding a yellow card after just booking a player. So he, wa- he walks towards him, he sees the yellow card and then just dips. He's like, nope, nope, already got, a, he's already been booked. Uh, yeah, you know, Rome, so this is it. Rome are now going to enter the post Mourinho wilderness. They've hired in uh, a former pro. Uh, yes or no question, are they going to qualify for the Champions League? No. Next question, uh, where's Mourinho going to end up next? I'll come back to that question in a second. Okay. So Ghana lost to Cape Verde. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. And Nigeria couldn't beat Equatorial Guinea yep. in, in the AFCON. Would you take Mourinho at Ghana? And could you see Mourinho at Nigeria? I wouldn't take Mourinho at Ghana. Uh, I I would love I th- Mourinho as Nigeria. <laughs> I think <laughs> Mourinho at Nigeria would be, uh, you know, those like meeting of worlds things they see in comic books where like two celestial ob- objects just like smash into each other. I think Mourinho, I think Mourinho in charge of Nigeria would be absolutely box office. Um, <laughs> Mourinho's got a huge fan base in Nigeria. Chelsea have a huge oh, fan base in Nigeria. Um, he would be incredibly popular. We talk about popularity. He's still popular. Ogamu, Ogamu, Ogamu. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's that. Mourinho is incredibly popular in, in, in I want to say West Africa, but Africa in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the whole place. So, so that'd be interesting. I also think this current crop of Nigerian players is interesting because they've got, they've got loads of strikers. Loads of them. Yeah. Uh, and um, one thing I will say, Mourinho is he's very good at cultivating a siege mentality. So first season, Mourinho, he goes, "It's us against the world. We're the underdogs. No one likes us. We don't care." Second season, Mourinho uh, gets a bit weird because, like we said before about the injury problems, he then goes, "It's my special few against the world, um, and I need help to get more special few because some of these players aren't willing to play through injuries." And then third season Mourinho tends to be, it's me, Mourinho, against the world, and there's no one I can trust. Um, now, Mourinho doing... football would be different. 
international football would be different. And Mourinho doing us against the world when in charge of a nation like Nigeria is a very alluring prospect and quite different to Mourinho trying to do that in charge of England, shall we say. Uh, A lot of people say Mourinho should just go into international football. I think if we went through the countries that would be most entertaining, Portugal, number one, native land, uh, Nigeria, very, would be very interesting to watch. England would be interesting to watch. Brazil. That would be interesting to watch. And he missed it by two weeks. Yes. I think Mourinho would have taken the Brazil job if offered to him. Uh-huh. And I think Brazil would have hired him. But they, they is it Dorval Jr. or something? Is somebody they got one of the local... Uh, coaches who's been there yep. for a long time who's, after who's they fine. fired uh, Denise. Yeah. So he missed it by two weeks. Say box office. Mourinho with Brazil because the, obviously there's no language barrier. Brazil have what Mourinho needs in terms of players who can solve things for themselves, at least the stereotypical Brazilian. I don't know if Richarlison is solving anything. But, <laughs> right, hey, but Six goals in the last six Premier League games. The guy's putting it but, together. But Rodrigo and Vinny can definitely solve some things for you. And then all you have to do is just create a defense. And Mourinho can do that. And then us against the world, it literally Mm -hmm. is you against the world if you're Brazil. Every time. So it's not going to be difficult to create a siege mentality. And it's not like you need to do it every day because you're not with the players every day. Yep. So come in, come out, and just keep the mentality. It would... ah, He missed it. Chances are he'll have an option at Portugal in like a few months after Martinez gets sacked. I mean, you, you could still have an option at Brazil. You know, it's a hundred and hundred and fifty days until Euro twenty twenty four, and a week after Euro twenty twenty four starts is the Copa America. And from the outside looking in, it still very much seems like Brazil are very much. Let's get the Copa America done, and we'll see what we need to do next. I want Mourinho at Nigeria. Okay, we need that. We okay. need that. Is it who's who's there now? Is it Jose Pissarro? Yes. yes. Get rid of that one and install Jose Mourinho. We so, need that. As I'm talking to you, there's also been talk about. I saw you tweet actually. Uh, Pochettino needs to watch his back. There's also been conversation about. Well, there's been a lot of rumor linking Mourinho to the Newcastle job, and there's also just been loads of rumor linking Mourinho to a job in Saudi Arabia. So on the club football scheme, Chelsea, Newcastle. Saudi Arabia, uh, which one would you most like to see? You can't ask me that. I just did, buddy. I just did. Chelsea. You want, you want now, to see him as a Chelsea manager again? No, 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 no. This isn't because I want what's best for Chelsea. Okay. I want what's best for me. <laughs> <laughs> and what's best for me is Jose Mourinho back at Chelsea because he's. it would just make it fun. I have a podcast to do every week. Yeah. Uh, give me that content. So e- either there or Newcastle, just Mourinho back in the Premier League would be fun. Uh, but Chelsea would be amazing. There's a reason why I have him holding up three fingers, not because of the three league titles, but because <laughs> it would be the third time. I mean, that was that was such a weird phase where he kept wagging three fingers, wasn't it? <laughs> but he so could he do w- it in every instance. He could it was, do it, it was in Italy fingers. because of his treble. He could yep. do it in in Chelsea because three at United he won a treble in air quotes you know the worst treble yeah. ever but <laughs> hey damn okay what the the charity shield the league cup and the, the, the Europa League the fun thing there was uh, when the Europa League was raised you could see he walked over to and and uh, Herrera made and, like, sure everybody made sure everyone started doing team. it yeah which was a uh, <laughs> I mean, the man's shameless. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you answer the Ghana question? I, I, I don't know. I don't want Mourinho as the Ghana <laughs> manager. Um, I, 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 there's, I genuinely don't think there's a manager who could fix what's going on at Ghana right now. Uh, Ghana's, Ghana's problem. I read a stat today and said, this is Dede I use. <laughs> it is. It's just not. Yeah. You know what? He'll make nine, I think. It's only in two years oh, in Morocco. God. He's getting it's, nine. It's He's not. Nine. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. This is the Ghana FA. The Ghana setup is 
constantly enamored with the golden generation that ran from 2006 to 2012 12 oh and the interesting thing is that they won nothing they didn't they didn't win an afcon and the closest they did come was the 2015 final where they lost on penalties uh so this is a golden generation that didn't win anything the closest time they did come to winning anything is after most people recognize that golden age was over uh, the way they play football and the way they are set up hasn't changed much since that golden generation. And there, there's huge questions over if Kudus doesn't play, they have very little idea as, as to how to score goals. And, and Chris Houghton is, is the current manager. The defeat they had against Cape, it wasn't an unlucky, it wasn't an unlucky defeat. I mean, they lost to an almost last minute goal, but they got played off the park by Cape Verde. Um, and it's the thing of, Ghana and to a slightly lesser extent Nigeria are two, you know, the two giants of West African football, two of the most successful teams at AFCON. But they also haven't, again, Nigeria, to a lesser extent, Nigeria were victorious in, I want to say, 2013. Um, Ghana's not won at AFCON since 1982. <laughs> right? They're, so Ghana still won, I think, uh, only Egypt's won more, but also Ghana's not won anything for 40 years. Um, Ghana is 63-65. Yep, eighty-two, and unfortunately, nineteen seventy-eight, where you guys beat us in yep. the final. So they've they've had they've had close runs. I think we spoke before about it when Morocco got their FIFA grant. They built a, a, a footballing center of excellence, the King Mohammed Center, in the same way that France has Clairefontaine and, and England has Saint George's uh, mm-hmm. and Ghana. I can't tell you where that money went. Mercedes? I can't. I, 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 can't, I can't tell you where that money went because uh, they're varying, varying uh, disputes. Every now and again, the Ghanaian government goes, "Okay, we're in charge of the Ghanaian FA. We're going to do this." It's beleaguered with short turners. Oh, that happened last year, or the year yes. before. Yes. Like they dissolved so, the. Yeah, yeah. I could see Ghana trying to appoint Mourinho. Uh, I, I also <laughs> think what one reason why Mourinho won't be the Ghanaian manager is because he's just way too expensive. Anyway, it, anyway, yeah. anything That's, else you'd like that, to discuss? It, it, no, no, no! I have a whole list, so let's <laughs> let's let's do these quick. So last week we I forgot what we were talking about when we didn't mention that Franz Beckenbauer passed away. It would be worthy just to mention that a generational defender and a defining defender. Yeah, I don't football, even know if that football, works. Football, but... football looks the way it looks now, in, in part, part because, because of, of him Becker, at Beckenbauer, right. and he he was basically the archetype of the liberal sweeper defender. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was so good at that job. That's how German football played for 25 years plus to the point that when they went, mm, maybe we should go to a flat back four, there was uproar about going, but we've been doing this since Beckenbauer did this. Um, and even then, when you look back at what he was doing at when he was that sweeper defender, you're like, yeah, that's that's really modern football. It, it There are, Beckenbauer is always linked to Johan Cruyff in my mind in that, they were mm-hmm. so far ahead of their time that when you look back at some of this match footage, it looks modern. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and so you've got that the, the massive influence he had as a coach. Although Corif is overrated. I know you hate that, but... No, it's fine. It. Uh, uh, yeah. So when, when we say defining figure in football, Beckenbauer's up there. Uh, one of my favorite Beckenbauer stories. He's got a very laconic, he had a very laconic sense of humor. You'd ask him certain questions and he'd just sort of raise an eyebrow and do something else. Um, and there's one story he, get, he gets asked about a Champions League final. And he is asked, uh, why did the losing team lose? And he just did the small gesture with his fingers. He, he just had a way with words that he didn't even necessarily need to use words. Uh, he also helped a yeah, huge, huge, huge role in the German reboot. I eventually saw them win the 2014 World Cup. Huge influence in uh, organizing the 2006 World Cup in Germany, which is one of my favorite World Cups as well. So, yeah, his impact in football, huge, huge. Mm. It's going to be interesting to see what Germany do with the Euros coming up. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So let's talk United quickly. So Jadon Sancho has left the yes. premises. And he's gone back to Borussia Dortmund. On loan. He got an assist in his first game back. He came on in the 55th minute. He got an assist in the 77th. So is this more Sancho's happy he's playing well? Sancho's found his level, some combination. He was never bad. It was just always beef with Ten Hag and they never got it right. Like It's complicated, yeah. this one. So one thing that surprised me was Sancho was physically fit enough to play on the weekend. Same, because he hadn't played uh, in months. Hadn't played in months. He was training by himself with the academy team. Uh, with the academy team using the academy facilities, he was have he was given a lunchbox from the main building into the academy building. Where he'd do that, he'd have to lock the door in the academy due to safeguarding laws because obviously under 18s. Um, <laughs> and from what we hear, he he his attendance at training post banishment from Ten Hag was less than 100. percent Some of this was down to illness, so I was surprised that he was fit enough to to play football. Didn't start, played, came on in the 55th minute. Okay. So one, he came, he came on, and he came on the right hand side, whereas the majority of the time he's had in England, he's played on the left or in the middle. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that Manchester United very much intended for him to be on the right hand side, um, I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said, "Yeah, you know, he he now prefers to play on the left, which is where Marcus plays." Dot 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 dot. Uh, so he, he came, he played on the right hand side. He looked very happy on the right hand side. He has a couple of really nice, neat touches, and he looked closer to. Jaden Sancho version one at Dortmund. Yeah. However, you're never the amount of space he gets for the assist, and the assist is a pretty simple open space, runs in behind opposition defense, cuts it inside for Royce to tap in. Mm. That sort of space you're not going to get week in, week out in the Premier League, because the Premier League has greater variance in how defense is set up than the Bundesliga. The Bundesliga is very much mid blocks. Two, um, the level of opposition, the, the team he was playing against, I think even the poorer teams in the Premier League are of a stronger difficulty. I think maybe on, maybe Sheffield United are the only team I could say, uh, yeah, Sheffield United is definitely worse. I think Luton are agricultural and they would hunker down and not allow that space. Mm-hmm. I think Burnley have some decent fullbacks. Boom, boom, boom. So there's that. I also think a number of those touches Sancho has, he just, again, just you're not going to have that much time and space on the ball in the Premier League. It, he's not... He, even if he quashes whatever's going on with Ten Hag and Ten Hag brings him in and says, you are available to play uh, and Sancho never gets injured for Manchester United, he's not rapid. He's not got a blistering A to B sprint, which is always going to be make things difficult for him in the Premier League, mm. especially if he wants to play out wide, which I don't think is his best position. I think if he's going to be in the Premier League, he's got to be a number eight or a free eight. He's got to be a... Uh, a Bernardo, he's got to be a Bernardo Silva type player. Do you know I was thinking? Um, really, his position would be like a ten. Mm-hmm. Somebody that just kind of links midfield with the attack, but at United he can't play there because Bruno nope. exists. Yep, and he can't play deeper, and you don't really want to put Bruno deeper either. Yep, as you say, once you put him on the wings, is he better there than Garnacho? No, is he better nope. than even Rashford out wide? I wouldn't say so. So where does he play if not behind a striker in England? That's what I'm saying. Is it more that Germany is just his level? Dortmund, the way they play is just better set up for him? I don't know. But actually, this is good for United in a sense, because as you said, and I think I might have stepped on you, it's a $3 million loan. Mm-hmm. If he plays well for the next six months, they have PSV in the Champions League. Who knows what happens there? Maybe they could spin this into getting some of that money back. Obviously, you're not going to get it all back. But... Could get something. Or Ten Hag's future isn't guaranteed for next season. So maybe the next manager sees something, maybe, something maybe. he can do with him. I th- I've seen a lot of Manchester... I've seen... Sorry. I've seen a section of Manchester United fans online say, good riddance. Um, this is a player who refused to apologise to Ten Hag and they don't want him near the club because he doesn't seem to want to take things seriously. Hmm. I would push back on that and say, even if you don't ever want Sancho to play for Manchester United again, it is... In Manchester United's interest, he plays well for Dortmund. Yes. 
even if they don't keep him, you've got to. He has to play well to generate enough interest to move him somewhere. Shop window. Um, you go put him in the shop window. Sancho is there is a good football player in there. I don't think there's a Manchester United player in there. Uh, and also, the real difficult thing is he's Oof. on prohibitively high wages. So he's on north of two hundred thousand pound a week at Man United, which means he's in that he's approaching that awkward Lukaku phase where all the clubs that could really do with him probably can't afford him. He's only 23. He's only 23. He's a good football player. He'll be a good football player for someone for a long time, but I don't think it's Manchester United because he's not blisteringly quick, which means if you are going to put him out on the wings for a Premier League team, his fullback needs to be blisteringly quick on overlaps. So at Dortmund, it was Hakimi or it was Guerrero or it was um, Thomas Mounier. And at Manchester United, your fullbacks are Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw likes to overlap which is why Sancho plays a lot on the left when he's at United, or Dallow, who likes to underlap, or Wambasaka, who is not an overlapper. He does one-twos when he wants to get in the final third. So if you want Jaden Sancho to play on the right wing for Manchester United, you need to spend another £15 million on a fullback, which it looks like United don't have. You want Kukurea? <laughs> I've got I've got 900 words in the back end on him that I just will never get to use um, because it, when it looked like Kukurea was going to go to United but then the United went for Reguilon so you got that uh, he's he's not going to be the number 10 because Bruno Fernandes is the number 10 and he can't be a number 8 for Manchester United because even though they try and have box-to-box midfielders it doesn't really work because mm. of everything everything has to be fixed around Fernandes because yeah. of the way Fernandes plays so it's difficult Turbo Timo has more assists than Mount. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Timo Werner had, had like the full Timo Werner experience against Manchester United on the weekend. In that, he kicked the blisteringly ball quick, <laughs> blisteringly quick, got the ball into two or three dangerous areas, but also had two or three shots. You're like, oh my god, he is Timo Werner. Um, uh, do you know Aaron Aaron West Oeste on Twitter? He does work on CBS. Yep, ex Copper ninety. Lovely, lovely gentleman. And when Werner went to Chelsea, he said, he he said he had his doubts. He said, and he said, Werner is one of the most boom or bust strikers you will ever see. Because while he's blisteringly quick, he doesn't have many skill moves. And he also doesn't have like a committed finish to, he hasn't, sorry, no, a finish committed to memory. So, you know, to use the NBA parlance, he hasn't got a recognizable jumper or. uh, He got no post moves. He's got no post moves. He's got no post moves and he's not got any, oh, I'm approaching here. I'm going to get to the elbow and do this and do this and do this. But what he does he, have is like freaky athleticism. Freaky athleticism. So he's really quick. It's too quick, I think, for his own goods. Mm-hmm. Almost so quick, his brain can't match what's happening with his legs. I think that's kind of what trips him up. It's, Mudrick has the same problem, by the way. Okay. Now, to be fair, I think Mohamed Salah had this problem at Chelsea as well, and he's he figured it out. But a player that's so fast, their control of the football suffers because of their speed, and so does their decision making mm-hmm. because they reach the place before they've decided what to do with it. Werner gets in that place, but you'll always play him because he's fast. He's, yeah, and the best the best Chelsea manager to get anything out of him actually was Tuchel because mm-hmm. Tuchel went, "You got to work in a two whereas someone can occupy and whatnot, and you can just be a latent threat, just constantly on the verge of offside, and you can scare defenders. But also that threat doesn't work all the time. Because again, because he's boom or bust, Werner has a very particular face he pulls when he gets caught offside or when he misses a chance. And you can see, like, you get five minutes into a game, Werner does something, he gets pinged for offside, or he has a shot and it goes wide, and he just goes like a, ugh. And you watch it, like, oh, that's it. He's not, that's it. That's it. He's not going to have a good game. It's like, like, a, he's, oh, one, please, he's one of those players where, and there's there's a handful of players, and they are, as I've got older, I've, I've started liking them more, whereas they were a lot more frustrating when I was in my 20s, of just, you're five, 10 minutes in a game, and I already know you're going to have a bad game. Uh, I, I used to be like, you're a professional football player. Why can't you turn it around? You've got eight minutes. Just put it all to one side and you keep going. Whereas Werner's just got this, ugh, Not and it's today. done. And I think that's that's always been a reason why he won't be a top-level striker for a top team. You know, went back to RB Leipzig. That hasn't started much this season. But he's here. He's on loan. And as we joked about earlier, um, Richarlison's now good. 
for Postacoglu. <laughs> Got six and six. So so maybe Werner will be useful. Also, the thing, because it's, it's a loan and because Spurs have other options, okay, the Asia Cup and AFCON has taken on a large amount of their players, but there is the idea that when everyone is fit, Werner probably won't be a starter. I think that takes pressure off that loan. This is what we'll go with. Do you care about Super Cups? So Charity Shield, oh, Super Cup. I don't. I don't. Super Coppa Italia. All of these different things. Like, do you do you put any importance on them? The Charity Shield, the English Charity Shield, the English Super Cup is a friendly. Um, and I watch it. Now this is my job, right? My job is to be a football journalist. I don't always watch the Charity Shield. However, I'd rather nap. I take the. Uh, of 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 the super cups in the top five, I take the Spanish one most seriously. Really? Because I take the Spanish one most seriously because was, because the Spanish one very often is between Barcelona and Real Madrid. Um, the way they've changed it now and having it in Saudi Arabia and how it's got semifinals as well. In, in that you know, La Liga has basically orchestrated it, so it nearly always will be Real Madrid and. and you, against they Barcelona. showed that game on big ABC in the yep. United States, yep. like prime time, big ABC. I think, I don't know, like near a f- football schedule or something. I don't know. Like they want that to be a thing. And I, they do. They do. I, I, I watched the game because it's obviously it's Madrid, Barca, but it's, I'm not over the fact that these games are like friendlies. Really, the Spanish Super Cup is not a friendly. It is. I don't. I don't think the Spanish Super Cup All is a friendly because of because of the amount friendlies. of effort. I, I okay. In my personal opinion, char- the Community Shield is a friendly. Used to be called the Charity Shield. Then they proved it doesn't actually generate enough money for charities. Had to call it the Community Shield. <laughs> um, the, the fact that it goes, the fact it goes immediately to penalties after, the fact it goes immediately to penalties after ninety minutes. Uh, you know the fact that the, the, the I don't know it doesn't mean that much. The fact that the transfer window is still open as well. It's sponsored um, by McDonald's. No, I'm just yeah, fine. <laughs> and it, it's a. I I think the English the the Community Shield or the English Super Cup is a tune up, and I watched that game going. How is the top two or how are two of these teams that want to be in the top four? How are they going to approach this season? Um, if you win the Community Shield, I'm not going to say that team's going to be the favorite for the league. Whatever, the German one. Tends to have Bayern Munich in it because whatever, and that's and I watch that going. Can this can whatever team beat Bayern on a one-off game? And that's interesting to me because I want to see if that means that team can win the DBF Pokai. Fine, Italian Super Cup. I like that one because there's no there's there's less of a guarantee of one of those sides. And even when Juventus were quite dominant, they didn't always win that trophy. So that was interesting to me. But all those three, I was going, I'm watching that going, I'm half watching, I'm half, I am half. I don't really care about the results so much as I care about how certain things are going on on the field. Whereas the Spanish one, because it's so often a Classico, that one I'm going, I care about the result. But that's because you care about the teams, but the cup itself, I'm uh-huh. saying all Super Cups are friendly. Even the UEFA Super Cup, where they okay. make the Europa League winner play the Champions League winner. No, I don't recognize that as an actual trophy. Even though I I, I understand your point, and they are real trophies. People get things. They shoot up the confetti, mm-hmm. all of that. I'm not counting that in your list of like, oh, we won three trophies. This No, it's not a real one. There's the You have your domestic cups. Yep. You have Champions League, Europa League, maybe Conference League, we count. And then your national competition super cups are money grabs it's all the the game is the spanish super cup and it's being played where again saudi arabia it's so super as a cup you're playing it in saudi (laughs) yep got it (laughs) be for the best do you now Mm -hmm. messi whoa whoa, whoa. you just skipped you just skipped what happened in the super cup um did did come on did i just not lay out why i would do that (laughs) Vinny, Vinny got a hat trick. Vinny balled. Vinny balled. Rodrigo was okay. Araujo got a red card. Yep, there was there was a Ferran Torres said that if if Vinny does that again, he'll punch him in the face. So I'm sure, unfortunately, Vinny was the target of racist abuse somewhere. 
Of course. Um, because although it was held in Saudi Arabia, so maybe this is a benefit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jude Bellingham regarded it as his first trophy as a Real Madrid player. Oh. Uh, there was also that really nice photograph where he he video where he he asked one of the fans who was holding a GTA themed banner around all the Real Madrid players if you could have it. So it's 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 him, Kama, and Chuameni, uh, and that's nice. I, I really I just really like that trio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 that's nice. There was uh, a so clip that's what of um, Bellingham and uh, Chuamini kind of working some tactics out, and I was like, oh, they, yeah. have, they have a good relationship. There's also the. I mean, I think this is now Carlo's best record in Classicos for a bit now. For for a while, it really looked as if Xavi sorted that out and was never going to lose a Classico again. But Carlo seems to have figured it out. Uh, now, one of the big things is obviously Real Madrid. When Real Madrid tend to win the Clasico, they tend to have a drop-off in form afterwards. So we'll see what happens there. FIFA, the best awards. Continue. They gave it to Messi, despite the World Cup not being included in the criteria. So I'm yeah, trying to figure out what the hell. It's silly, isn't it? It's silly. It, well, it, it's the, so this is, this is, the FIFA best award was voted by captains of captains, journalists, and coaches. And as we are now seeing, you are, we're seeing... Football players do not watch football. Can we? Yes, just... we are. We are. We are able to see who everyone, how who at least the captains are voting for, and quite a few coaches ones come through. I think that the big disparity we're seeing is most European-based football players have a top three of Messi, Haaland, Mbappe, and another. Yeah. Yeah. Their top three, the top three will include one at one of Messi, Haaland, and Mbappe. Uh, whereas, if you look at the coaches, you see a lot more votes for Rodri. Uh, there's been a lot of votes. For, there were a lot, I saw a lot more votes in uh, Bernard for Bernardo Silva in the journalist one as well. And it just there's just a disparity in the pocketing or grouping of players, shall we mm. say? Um, so most players, if if someone voted for Messi, they tend to be a player compared to the journalists, uh, to which you said, most football players don't watch as much football as you do. You being the listener to this podcast. Last last thing I have written down. We're going to get through all of this. Kevin De Bruyne did good things. That's what I have written <laughs> down. So he came on for 20, 30 minutes against Newcastle and destroyed the game for Newcastle. By the way, I didn't know Newcastle's pitch was slanted. You know about this? There's like a slope at St. James's Park to where the pitch isn't evenly flat. It's, it's like negligible. slanted. It, it's negligible. I Is think it? That, okay. It's negligible. Overblown. I, I, I heard about it. But I was just like, I don't know if it's actually like you roll the ball down and it just goes. I don't know. Either way, so now that people are having conversations, when I say people, I mean the timeline, where does Kevin De Bruyne rank in the history of Premier League midfielders? He's top five. So my point here is, why do we do this after only good performances? How come after <laughs> he has bad performances, we don't still do this? Where does he rank in the top five? Uh, or is he even in the top five? But we're here now. So you have him top five? With, without question. Without question, he's top five. T5. The diff difficulty issue is I don't like grouping all together as midfielders. I do like saying I do believe in a six and eight and a ten, even if you did play four four two for the first twenty years of the Premier League. But yeah, Skulls is top five. Skulls? Why have I said Skulls? That was a weird Freudian slip. Um, <laughs> Kevin, I don't think Skulls is top five. What? Um, Come on, uh, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. He has to be. <laughs> and and this is this is a question because since you brought up four four two. Do we count players like Giggs or Goals, No, like Giggs is, Giggs, is, Giggs is a... No, they're wingers. They're wingers. No, no, but like in 4-4-2, that line of four technically are midfielders. I, I would, I would, I'd always save Giggs and Beckham for, for best Premier League wingers. Um, but even then on that, they'd go, just, well, is Mo Salah a winger? And I'm like, yes. For me, you have defenders, you have midfielders, and then you have forwards, goalkeepers as well. Got, so it's got, Giggs got, or forwards? I got, or is he I a got midfielder? goalkeepers. I got goalkeepers. I got defenders. I got fullbacks. I got midfielders. I've got wingers, and I've got strikers. Damn, 
And I think if if I if I, I would love to just have defensive midfielders, and I'd love to have not playmakers, but blah 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 blah. But yeah, De Bruyne is top five all time Premier League midfielders, and in and you can you can you can say six, eight, ten in there. I think the thing about the Newcastle game was Newcastle were better for the first hour, and then De Bruyne emerged, and you're like, it was just so sports movie. It was so anime. It was so cartoon of just one person removes his coat walks into the fray and is so much better than everyone else. Um, and this is why, I think this is why, despite the not great form for Manchester City, everyone was going, yeah, you know, City is still the favourites because everyone knew they've got the Belgian in the back. I, I, You know how there's always been a point, you know how there's a point in time where you forget Messi is the best football player in the world? Mm. So you go, oh, wait, who's the best person at free kicks? And then someone goes, it's Messi. You're like, oh, yeah, obviously it's Messi. Or they go, oh, who's the best pass in the world? And then you go through, you go for like five minutes and you go, it's Messi. And like, oh, yeah, I forgot about Messi. De Bruyne, to my mind, has been the best player in the Premier League for quite some time. But because he is playing for Manchester City and because his excellence is not called upon in the same week-to-week basis as other players you can sometimes forget he's the number one. Also, and they got 98 he, points when he played half yep. a season. This is it. So too. there's this idea <clears throat> out there that like the, the 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 team is greater than one player. Like one or one player doesn't make the team great. So you can take him out for half of a year and they're still champions. I think I think Manchester City are anywhere between 10 to 30% better than everyone else in the country without Kevin De Bruyne. When De Bruyne is fully fitting in the team, they go from that goes from being 10 to 30% to being 50 to 70%. Mm. By the way, I'm, I'm, remarkable. I'm, I'm looking at a um, list of Premier League midfielders. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's not top five. <laughs> no? They have gigs included in the midfielder category. So they no. have, but here we go. Skulls, Gerard mm-hmm. Lampard. Now, Gerard, can you be above De Bruyne when you've never won the thing? No. So whatever list this is. But they have Skulls, Gerard, Lampard, Giggs, De Bruyne, and then below him, Patrick Vieira, mm. Roy Keane, David Silva, Yaya Toure, and Golo Kante. You see, in my mind, I want to say something egregious. <laughs> I I would I would like to say something egregious. I, I think Golo Kante is better than Kevin De Bruyne at what they do. Okay. But okay. what De Bruyne does is more valuable to a team, I guess, winning in the way people can see football. So he mm-hmm. gets put above, plus he's in a team that's won more. So, but my, my Kante want to leave for Leicester. My egregious take is if you are doing a top five of Premier League midfielders, so not wingers. Mm-hmm. You cannot have Lampard and Gerard. <laughs> Lampard's fine. Gerard is the one I question. I don't. I don't. I don't care which. I don't. I don't care which configuration you want to do it. You can't have both. No, no, no. Then Gerard has to go. Then, if you wish, if if that's what you want to do, then that's what you want to do. But you cannot have both. I also think. Again, He's got zero league title. titles. That has to count. Uh, for and, and and on a similar note, if you are going to do top five, you cannot have Keane and Scholes. Unless you are a Manchester United fan, what is the basis of this logic, though? Uh, there isn't one because it's not it. It's it, it's a it's a vibe based formula I've got in my head. Um, in that I've got I think a top five should have at least three faces. Wait, are, are you saying Gerard and Lampard look the same? Uh, <clears throat> I think a top five should have Kevin De Bruyne in it. Okay, it should have. You should have Kevin De Bruyne in it because he's been the best 8, 10 for however many years. It should have one of the following three people. Keane, Vieira, Skulls. One okay. of those three okay. should be in there, if not two of those three. It should have, because you've said N'Golo Kante, I think, yes, N'Golo Kante should probably be in there as well. And, and if you want to have, if you want to have one of, of Lampard and Gerrard, you can only have one because uh, I think, okay. I think, that, I think there's just certain. It's my you know, bias. The... It's not like Conte is my bias, but I don't think realistically uh, you can put him in top five. 
having N'Golo... He hasn't played enough having, games. He hasn't played there was, enough. There was a point in time where having N'Golo Kante in your Premier League team meant you won the Premier League. Yeah, but that was like two seasons back to back. And then after that, he, injury problems. He, uh, he, he, he didn't play enough. I'll put okay. it that way. Right. Even though... Because De Bruyne's played more games than him in the Premier League. So. All right. Um, but he's like he's like a seven. He's like seven. Okay. All right then. But he's then, he's, then, he's, okay. he's there, but he's not there. There. He's all right. Yeah, we'll have that. Anyway, this has been the Talking Tactics podcast. We thank you guys for listening. Um, we do the podcast whenever we do it. Whenever within the week, normally Tuesday, or Wednesday. Carl, where can people get you before we go? If you find my work on the Athletic, Manchester United fans can find me on the Talk of the Devils podcast. Um, yeah. Try um, to get better. Talking Texas podcast, sometimes funny, sometimes serious. Always football. He sings it every time. Peace, guys. Peace, peace, peace. Peace, 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 peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.